0: Hi, folks, this is James Drury. You're listening to On Screen and Beyond.
1: On
2: Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond.
1: Brian Zimran.
2: Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. Brian with you. And we have a great show coming your way. Of course, we have all the latest on the remakes and sequels and movies that are rumored to be coming out. And uh, TV on DVD and movies on DVD that are coming out. And, of course, we have our interview segment. And this time, we take you back to the Old West. And one of the best TV shows that was a Western lasted for nine years. It was the Virginian, and we have the Virginian with us on this episode. We have James Drury joining us, and he's just a fascinating man, and uh, we uh, talked with him for quite a while, and I think you're going to enjoy this show, and I hope you'll stick around for it. And let's see, what else we got to let you know about? Uh, suggestions for people that you'd like us to interview. Well, um, some people have been sending them in And we're doing our best to try to make connections with some of the people that you've suggested. And, of course, we uh, encourage you to send more because we always want to try to find uh, some people that you would be interested in hearing about. We hope you enjoy the ones that we're getting. And uh, some of them have been uh, uh, connected with us uh, because people have asked us to interview these people. And we've made a connection. So uh, we are trying to get some more that people have suggested. And if you have somebody you'd like us to try to get, send us an email. You can get us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. All right, so that's what you can do. And let's see, if you want to go to onscreenandbeyond.com, you can go and take our poll. It's on the front page. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. The poll is there. And this time, the question is... of the Westerns that are listed, okay, now we've only listed a certain amount because I just can't list every Western that was ever out there because there were just so many of them, but uh, we have put down some of the the bigger ones, and uh, we want to know what you think was uh, your favorite. What was your favorite Western of the ones that we've listed? One of them is Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Laramie, Rawhide, The Virginian, and uh, wagon train so those are a few that we'd like you see what you like the best and uh, just go to that page onscreenandbeyond.com go right down to the bottom the polls right there and uh, that's about it for now but uh, we hope you do check out our website and check out our movie reviews our dvd reviews and uh, let's see uh, all the other uh, Tim. Tim Neely has a weekly column on there, so we hope you're going to check that out and uh, see what you can find. All right, coming up next, remakes right here on On Screen and Beyond.
1: Please hang up and try again.
2: Well, remake madness continues, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is moving along in the remake scene. Of course, we told you about that already before, but Disney is the one who's doing it, and it seems that they have hired a director who has let go of the screenwriter because he didn't like what they were doing with it, so a new screenwriter has been put on. So, we'll see what happens. We'll keep you updated as we hear. And, of course, Freddy Krueger is returning to the remake of... uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, as we told you a while ago. And it seems things are moving along as Hollywood continues to kick the dead horses that they beat to death back in the 70s and 80s, and they're trying to kick them back to life. We'll see what they do with that one. And uh, Disney is also trying to remake the Tower of Terror into a film on the big screen. And the reason I say remaking it is because it actually was a TV movie that they had made for their uh, Wonderful World of Disney, or whatever they were calling it at that time. On ABC, and uh, that starred Steve Guttenberg. Uh No idea of who they're going to have in this version. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with that one. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean was also a ride. They did a good job with that. But uh, remember Haunted Mansion? Eh, they didn't do so hard with that one. Anyways, that's about it. We'll keep you updated when we hear more. And coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming rumored movies right here. Well, as far as upcoming and rumored movies, Brandon Fraser will star in Furry Vengeance. In 2010, it's about a real estate developer uh, starting a new housing development in the wilderness, and he has to face the protesters of the humankind and the animal kind. Frazier is also set to star in This Side of the Looking Glass for 2010. It's about an aging writer, and it also is rumored to star Sarah Michelle Gellar. And Gellar is also set to star in Veronica Decides to Die. And that'll be out this year. It's about a woman who decides to end her own life, but finds she has much more to live for. And that's about it for rumored Upcoming Movies. Coming up next, taking you down to Sequel City, right here on On Screen and Beyond sequel city well it looks like 2006's Flickr is headed toward a sequel Flickr 2 will s- start filming this spring now Flickr wasn't that a big hit uh, back in 2006 but they've decided to remake it now the show uh, there was a show called flicker years ago and that was a big hit so maybe it's because of that uh let's see we don't mind handing out rumors here at on screen and beyond but uh, you know we're gonna hold off on who is rumored to be in the next Iron Man 2 sequel, because it's just so many people, and it's constantly changing. So uh, we'll just wait and see what happens on that one before we hand anything else out. Saw 6 is set for an October 23rd release this year, and a sequel to Meet the Fockers is going to be called Meet the Little Fockers. And uh, Ben Stiller, of course, is heading that, and it's going to be coming out in 2011. And finally, Ben Stiller and Tom Cruise are set to uh, make a sequel of sorts called The Hardy Men. And uh, it's a comedy version of The Hardy Boys. Look for a 2010 release on that one. And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next, we have TV on DVD right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. TV on DVD, well, it looks like the 8th season of JAG heads your way on March 17th, and also on March 17th, look for Mr. Belvedere, seasons 1 and 2. And it also looks like Andy Richter controls the universe, the complete series arrives on shelves on March 24th, as well as the TV miniseries, Master of the Game, which spans a century in the lives of the Blackwell family set in um, 1890 South Africa, and it's based on the novel by Sidney Sheldon. And finally, David Jansen continues running as the Fugitive, Season 2, Volume 2, as it hits stores on March 31st. That's about it, and coming up next, Movies on DVD, right here on On Screen and Beyond. (laughs) movies coming out on dvd well march 10th milk the oscar nominated movie starring sean penn comes out on dvd and also on march 10th look for the classic pinocchio from walt disney and on march 21st look for twilight to hit stores starring Kristen stewart and taylor lautner check out our interviews with taylor and uh... in our podcast reruns just go to the podcast reruns at onscreenandbeyond.com and we spoke with him on two separate shows about his career And on March 3rd, look for Australia with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman to ride into stores. That's about it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next, we have our interview as we go back into the wild, 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 wild west. And we're going to be talking with James Drury, the Virginian, right here on On Screen and Beyond. My guest today on On Screen Beyond is the star of the first 90-minute Western TV show, which aired from 1962 to 1971. The show, of course, was The Virginian. And he is The Virginian, James Drury. Welcome to the show, James.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: There's a lot of different things we could talk about, but uh, I of course I want to start off with the Virginian. I understand that there was a pilot made before the actual Virginian that we all know. You had made one in the late 50s. Could you tell us about that?
0: Yes, that was a, uh, uh, a pilot for Screen Gems, which is a television uh, arm of Columbia Pictures, and uh, they made a a version of the virginian that was uh... uh... A half an hour long and uh... it was a whole different take on the character we had you put him in frilly shirts and with uh... uh... kind of a swallowtail coat and a a little bitty gun with a filigree silver handle and uh... and he was very a very fancy gent from the from the south you know and uh... dressed him up that way and he uh... uh... That was his general appearance, but the, mm-hmm. the basic uh, character of the Virginian, which is uh, goes back to the original book published in 1902, I tried to uh, emulate that in the in the pilot in the uh, screen gems pilot, uh, just as I did in the 90 minute version. However, it was uh, uh, the, the pilot did not sell. That was the year that most of the networks went from a half hour programming to our programming. So we kind of got lost in the shuffle in there. And it's a good thing we did because if we had gotten on the air, that would have been, that would have uh, almost made it impossible to do the 90-minute version. Mm -hmm. But it didn't sell. Screen Gems didn't get much out of their investment, but uh, they it was a great try and a a valued effort. And as a matter of fact, Jeanette Dolan who uh, later came on the big show as uh, you know she was married to John McIntyre and when he was there as the leader as the head of the ranch she came in as his wife and played in the big show but she was the she was the, the ranch cook in the first show so mm. she went through the whole experience too but uh, it didn't sell and I I was uh, no longer working with Columbia and I had signed a contract with MG at uh, Universal and, uh, shortly after I signed my contract, well I'm sure they had this in, they had this plan, but they, they tested me for the Virginian along with about, uh, a hundred other people. And, uh, I, I was called back to test again and then called back to test again. And, uh, finally we were informed, Doug McClure and I were informed that we had the rolls, uh, the Friday night before the Monday morning we started a shoot. Wow. So we didn't have. Uh, we didn't have much time to do any sitting around or planning. We just had to get right into it. Wow. And, uh, and we did and, uh, and went at it and, uh, you know, went at it with uh, tooth and nail and, and, and got it done. Yeah. And, uh, nine years later, we were finished. So I just, uh, I've had a, a wonderful relationship with the, with the character and the role and, and uh, the idea of, of the Virginian. And of course, it's, it stayed with me all my life. I, had, I'd hope to do many mother many other things, but uh, uh there is such a thing as typecasting and I think they uh they the the incredible exposure that we had over the, that nine years in a ninety minute show just made it very difficult for any producers to look at me as anything but the Virginians.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I've been uh, I haven't worked a whole lot since hmm. uh in the motion picture business, but uh Yeah. I've had uh I've had a number of adventures besides, so it's all worked out. <laughs>
2: now, in the story, of course, the Virginian never had a name, and throughout the series you never had a name, uh, but TV sometimes changes. How, why do you think they didn't give you a name? I mean, <laughs> it just, well, just seems
1: odd.
0: <laughs> I think it, it may have seemed odd at the time, and it probably did seem odd uh, from the very beginning, but I think that was the author's intent. He wanted to give the Virginian a mysterious air, uh, a, uh, a quality of mystery that uh, was hard to achieve if he gave him a name. Mm-hmm. When, a, when a man comes into a, in a room and everybody says, Psst, "That's the Virginian," you know, yeah. uh, it it gives you a kind of a trailing glory that you that you don't have to do anything to achieve. You don't have to work at, and it, it's just part of a character. And it was always it gave the the Virginian a certain uh, uh, special specialness and, and importance and setting him apart from everyone else you know yeah and yeah. Uh, I guess you know you can postulate that a man I won't give his right name has probably been in trouble with the law at one time or another <laughs> and uh, he was the Virginian I always thought had been in trouble with the law but had either paid his debt to society or got away clean or one, one way or the other but he was out there and not not doing anything illegal anymore and trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, under all circumstances, so. Yeah. Uh, the Virginia was all about uh, being the man who solved problems and and, uh, and and made sure that everyone else was in his command was as safe as he could make them and as, uh, as happy as he could make them. Yeah. And uh, that, was a, that was the whole basis of the story. Yeah. Now, being a
2: 90-minute show, which was... Unusual then and unusual now, really for a TV show.
1: Uh, well,
0: before the, our show, there had been ninety-minute shows, but they were all anthologies like yeah. Playhouse 90 and uh, right other other Hallmark Hall of Fame and so forth. Yeah, uh, in, uh, in the ninety-minute format. But we were the first show, not just the first Western show, but the first show of any kind mm-hmm. ever done on television in a ninety-minute format with continuing characters. Yeah, our characters went from week to week. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so we were very, I think, justifiably proud of that.
2: Yeah, and it must have been brutal trying to remember all those scripts for that length of a
1: show.
0: No, no, it was never brutal. It was always a joy. Really? Uh, memorizing uh, has never been a problem with me at all. Of course, it is with a lot of people, but I always tell people when they want to know how I memorize so rapidly, I say, I don't learn the lines, learn the play. Learn to play from the first word on the first page to the last word on the last page. And if you know the play, you can't possibly go wrong. Other people can blow their lines and go all over the place, but you know where you are and you know, you know, what's, what comes next. So, uh, I always made a habit of that and I, and it sounds, may sound incredible to someone who doesn't memorize, but I made a habit of it and I've done it ever since.
1: Hmm. And,
0: yeah. uh, I once were, learned George Bernard Shaw's Don Juan in Hell in seven days. Wow. Uh, by heart. And huh. some of those speeches go on for three pages. So, uh, I could do it letter perfect. And it was, uh, uh you know, it was uh, something that I, I had a lot of help with. My wife helped me with it. And I always try to have help when I'm memorizing. I always have someone uh, hold the script. After I put it down, so that I could make sure that I get it right, and they can correct me word for word, you know. Yeah. But huh. uh, I've always been able to learn the whole play, and that's the way it works for me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't
0: have any problem with that. Sometimes we had three and four units working at the same time because we used up our our Virginian shows faster than we could make them. It took uh, nine, eight, or nine days to make one. Uh, usually about eight. And uh, we used them up every five days, you see. So we had to have uh, shows, two shows at once or three shows at once. I once worked in four shows at once on one day. Wow. <laughs> uh, going from set to set, you know, where there were different companies shooting and, and different different actors all working on segments of the Virginian. And I came in when my appointed time was there and did my, my work and went on to the next thing.
2: Wow so you had to re- remember different shows for every time you'd go to a different location on the same day
0: well surely wow <laughs> you couldn't be saying lines from one show in, in another show right yeah huh. but, it, but I found it to I didn't have any difficulty with that and and Doug didn't either hmm. uh, he was uh, almost as as good a memorizer as I am and in fact uh, just as good I think in, in many ways I don't think he he uh, he concentrated on it as much as i did but he he seemed to always show up with his lines so that was the important thing
2: yeah i read that you did the an average of 30 shows a year
0: well the first two or three years we did 36 each year
1: 36
0: wow yes yes we did those were in the days when 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 they produced a television series they they believed in giving people 36 new shows now they do about 8 new ones and yeah, sixteen reruns. I know. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: that, I mean, but that's amazing. I mean, because you were doing ninety minutes and thirty to thirty-six shows, so that in a year's time, you were doing way more shows than what the average show does nowadays.
0: Oh yes, absolutely. We had miles and miles of film exposed on us, and uh, by and large, I'm I'm proud of the work we did. I think we did some some very fine work, and. Uh, almost all our work was certainly uh, above average. You know? Oh yes, yeah. And we had some fine, brilliant stuff too. And uh, we had a few bad shows. You can't do a series without having a few bad shows, but uh, they were few and far between.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And the cast was outstanding on that show.
0: Oh, they were all wonderful. And uh, as as the years went on, and some of the people left, and other people came in to take their place. They were all they were all very confident and very very uh, gifted in their positions and they everybody did a wonderful job
2: but now was were you and Doug the only two that were the staples through the whole entire series
0: that's correct we we were the only ones that started out with it and and, and ended up with it so mm. uh, we became of course very fast friends and uh, uh, lifelong friends and I I miss him every day. Uh, I talk to him for three times a week for 30 years, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you miss you miss a friend like that. I He's probably the best friend I've ever had, and I'm just, uh, I just so sorry that he went mm. so early. Yeah. He was a young man. He was uh, 56 when he died. Wow. Jeez. It was a terrible thing.
2: Yeah. Now, but, uh, at the end of the series, um, toward the end, they changed the name to The Men from Shiloh. Was there... Do you know the reason for the change?
0: Well, everyone felt we were... We'd always been in the top 20 in the ratings, you know, yeah. uh, throughout the eight seasons that we'd done. And uh, we may have been towards the bottom of the top 20 there in the seventh or eighth season. I think they wanted to see if they could uh, juice up the ratings and and, and get uh, some new interest in the show. So they decided to change the name and, and change the format, uh, The same location, but they brought in, uh, two different, uh, well, there were four of us who were supposed to star in the, in the films. And there were 24 shows to do, so everybody was supposed to do six. Well, I did think I did 15 of them. Wow. And Doug did about 12 of them. And then Stuart Granger did, you know, where he was the star character, star player, or the, the largest role, uh, He did about four or something like that, and Lee Majors did four or five. I don't know. They were in other shows in a small capacity, but, you know, it just didn't work out the way they thought the numbers would fall. Yeah, yeah. But everybody was in every show, you know, it was just, uh, those were the shows that, that were, were written for the Virginian or for Trampas or for the other characters. Right. And, uh, that's the way it worked out, and it was, As it was, everybody was looking for the Virginian and didn't know what Men from Shiloh was. There may have not been enough publicity about the change. I don't know, but people couldn't find us on the, on the, on the television set. So we not only were not in the top 20, we were down like 40 or 50. So that's when the the show went off the air and it was a shame, but uh, we all thought it was a good idea at the time, but it turned out to be a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't, uh, you can't always uh, always guess right, and and uh, we all were we all were complicit in it. I mean, we, we all agreed with it when when it was done and thought it was a great idea. We got new costumes, new hats, new horses, and all that, hmm. and uh, it just uh, tanked the show right out of existence. <laughs> yeah. Now, huh? did um, when you mentioned the horses, you hear about
2: a lot of actors who get jobs on tv shows and they don't know how to do whatever they're going to be doing did you know how to ride horses and things like that but oh yes
0: i've been i've been around stock and horses all my life and uh my family had a couple of ranches in oregon that i grew up on Uh and uh i had my my own first horse when i was uh 13 or 14 and uh, kept him for many years and uh really was just an instinct rider i always i always got along with horses i always loved horses in fact i first got on a horse when i was in diapers <laughs> I, and i remember it my grandfather had a had a uh, team of belgian plow horses that he used in his fields up there in oregon at his place mm-hmm. and he put me up on the back of one of those big belgian uh, draft horses and uh my legs st- stuck straight out both ways from the side <laughs> and I wouldn't come down all day. I just loved it up there. I had uh, developed a, an instant kinship with the, the smell of the horse and the feel of the horse and the sweat of the horse and the the, uh, the wonderful uh, movement of the horse under my legs uh, during the you know the course of the afternoon. And uh, I just uh, instant fell in love with it instantly there and wanted a horse forever from then, then on. And finally got one. And uh, uh, then went from there and rode him all over the place. And as I got into motion pictures, I, I rode other horses. And uh, I seemed to be able to ride a horse anywhere I could see. Hmm. Yeah. And I felt like I was a pretty good horseman. Well, as it turned out, I met a lady and moved down here to Texas uh, some 33 years ago or so. And she got me involved in... Uh, some cutting horse competition here for charity. Mm -hmm. And I had ridden cutting horses in the past a couple of times, but never with any degree of accuracy, you know, and uh, never really knew what I was doing. And I started out trying to ride a cutting horse and uh, tried and tried and rode and rode and practiced and practiced and went to all kinds of different trainers and worked with them. And uh, I wasn't doing very well with it. And at that point, the Dallas Ladies Polo Club Asked me to go to the Dominican Republic and play polo with them for a for charity. Yeah, and uh, I said, "Well, that's fine, girls." Except I don't play polo, and they said, "Well, we'll teach you." Well, they didn't teach me a damn thing. They, uh, they got me a pair of boots and a quirt and a, the hard hat and put me up on this big thoroughbred and said, "Go to town." <laughs> well, I could ride that thoroughbred out there on the field. And I could ride him all over the field, but I couldn't get him anywhere near the ball. (laughs) And if you can't get your horse over to the ball, you ain't playing polo, buddy. You're wheeling around out there, but you're not playing. (laughs) So I was terribly embarrassed, and I came back to Houston and looked up a dressage coach named Paul Cotton, K-H-A-T-E-N. He was a, a wonderful gentleman from Austria who had been a dressage champion in Germany. And he put me into the the rudimentary beginning steps of dressage, which, as is, is you may or may not know, is precision riding with flat tack, with uh, the English saddle. Mm-hmm, yeah, and uh, you go from point to point, and it's uh, all about delicate control of the horse and all the horse's actions and all the movement of the horse simply from your seat in the saddle. And from him, I learned finesse, and I learned refinement, and what I learned most of all, uh, he would uh, sit me on a big Hanoverian uh, jumping horse, and uh, we would gallop in a circle or trot in a circle for 45 minutes every morning in a sitting trot, and the sitting trot is where you sit in the saddle and you don't have stirrups. Your legs hang free. The stirrups are crossed over the pommel, over the front. mm mm-hmm. And you jog along. Well, when you're finished with about nine months of that, you're so far down in the saddle that no matter where that horse goes, even if he goes up a tree, you're going to be right in the middle. Of it. <laughs> and you learn harmony with a horse. And that's, that's what Paul taught me and gave me. And then I went back to cutting horse competition and polo and reining horse competition and, and began to win in those oh, really? categories. So, huh? uh, it improved my, my riding to the point where now I can truly say that I am a horseman and I have other horsemen who will back me up, you know, they seen yeah. me ride. Huh. And uh, it's a wonderful feeling to finally, finally, at this late date or, at, you know, after the show was all over, to develop a, a further understanding that was, has been extremely valuable to me as a person, you know, mm-hmm. I just have felt, uh extremely gratified to to have that knowledge and be able to perform that that task it's uh you know a, a horse was man's first partner, Yeah, if it hadn't been for the horse, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere right yeah and uh uh there's kind of a a tribal memory there when you can get to the point where you're in harmony with your horse, you're kind of in harmony with all the horsemen ever ever lived you know from the beginning of time and it's uh it's great great feeling. Huh. Yeah, and I love it. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to ride lately because I've got a uh, problem with my sciatica. I have a, a some discs out of my back or something. Uh,
1: yeah, and that's hard. And
0: I, yeah. I, I find it very difficult to get on a, on a horse. It hurts so bad. I have to get right off. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm taking steps to try to do something about that, and I may have a a small back operation here pretty soon to re- re- relieve that. We've just Completed a course of MRIs and stuff and we're working with an orthopedic surgeon so we'll see if, if that will finally work. And, huh.
2: uh, so you may once again get on, back on the horse, right?
0: Well, it won't be five minutes after I feel, after <laughs> it stops hurting that I will. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it may be more than five minutes but it won't be more than half an hour. <laughs>
2: Now, uh, one question um, that everybody's going to be, you know, wondering is why isn't The Virginian out on DVD? Uh, do you have any idea?
0: No, I have no idea except to tell you that it isn't. Uh, uh, there are places in Europe where you can buy it, uh, all, all packaged up on DVD. I think when I was in Ireland last year, uh, there was a young man that had the whole set, all the shows, on about five DVDs, huh? And they could certainly do that in this country. I don't know whether that was—I really have no idea—whether that version was authorized, in other words, whether Universal was involved in the yeah. distribution of it, or whether it was just pirated off the television somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I don't know what the quality of it is, or or whatever.
1: Yeah. But hopefully. I think
0: uh, Universal, from what I understand. Has asked these distributors who distribute, you know, the after-show DVDs, mm-hmm. and there are so many shows out. Uh, uh, most of the westerns are out. Uh, Gunsmoke, of course, and yep. Bonanza, and Big Valley, and and all those shows are coming out. And my friend uh, Bob Fuller tells me that they're bringing out Laramie. Yep. But they've they've seen they've they've asked more money for. The Virginian, because of the fact that it's ninety minutes and yeah. it fills a big chunk of programming, you know. Yeah. Uh, they've asked more licensing money or rental money than these guys are willing to pay. That's probably the uh, prevailing thing, and and they've never done it. But they're they're, you know, it's cutting off your nose to spite your face because they could make a great deal of money if they. If they uh release it, oh yeah,
1: yeah. gee, that's, and I
0: guess uh the Universal wants a, a bigger share of that than the distributors feel they should get, so hmm. no nothing has happened. It's a stalemate. mate.
1: Uh, and
0: true. uh i don't I don't know whether anything will ever happen on it uh from from universal, but uh I've tried to contact them about it, and other people have tried to contact them about it, and we've got no response. Hmm. No, uh, no response whatsoever.
1: Well, hopefully someday they will because that's, uh, that would be a, a good collection to
0: have. Yes. Well, we had this wonderful trip to Ireland in July. My wife and I got to go over there and it was a, we both wanted to go all our lives and here we are in our seventies and we got to go and it was, it was an absolutely wonderful life-changing trip. Wow. I got to meet my relatives who still live on the farm there in County Roscommon where my grand, my paternal grandfather emigrated in 1886 to go over to uh, Staten Island, New York. Huh. And, uh, that's where my father was born. And, uh, we met, that, that property has been in the Drury family for over 400 years. So we got involved in all that history and all those people and there were wonderful, wonderful cousins came out of the woodwork. Hmm. There's a lot of Drury's came, came around to meet us and, and see us, and uh, the show's running five days a week over there. So it was kind of like Elvis goes to Minneapolis in 1962. <laughs> they wanted to uh, hug my neck and rip my shirt off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had much that much attention in 40 years. Wow, <laughs> uh, it was great. The Irish people, uh, the, the the treasure of Ireland, and the Irish people—they are the finest, most optimistic kind, generous people that I've ever come across. They just could not do enough for us, and they were absolutely wonderful.
2: Well, I'm sure we'll have some listeners, because we, we're all over the world, and people uh, from Ireland, I'm sure, will hear this. So, Well, I
0: certainly hope so. I had an absolutely fantastic time while I was in Ireland, and I can't wait to come back.
1: Great. I have
0: a dear friend here in, in Houston named Eamon Finnerty. Uh, as you might guess, he's an Irishman from mm-hmm. Ireland. And he came over here in 1980 and opened up an Irish pub. And now he has 23 of them all over the Houston area. Uh, You know, all kinds of different names. Rosie O'Grady's and the Old City Pub and all Mm -hmm. those places. Yeah. And uh, he he offered to take us to Ireland. And he did take us to Ireland and paid for the trip, uh, the airfare and the hotel and the limousine. He had it all lined up. And he just treated us like royalty and I, 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 all I can say is he's the nicest guy in the world. Wow. Now he, he, he made our, our lifelong dream come true and it was absolutely wonderful for him to do that. And, uh, we're hopeful we'll get a chance to go again here in a year or two.
1: Wow.
2: yeah now in uh the year 2000 um they made a tv movie and it was starring bill pullman of uh, of a remake a retelling of the story of the virginian um and you were in it uh, that's correct you had a cameo in that how how do you feel about them redoing the show that you had you know done so much for all those years
0: well i think that was a that was great i'm, I'm glad they did it and i think that uh uh Bill and all the rest of the cast did a wonderful job of doing the story of the virginian they stuck to the book of course and did it as as it as the book was originally written in 1902 or published in 1902 and uh they they did the original uh, version of the of the story as in the other motion pictures which have included you know uh Gary Cooper and right. uh um, Ra- um, Joel McCrae Mm-hmm. Uh, play the virginian in another in another film version of it and uh, it was a very noble effort and i think they did a fine job yeah and uh, i was very honored to be in, uh, included in a small way in, in the end of it there mm-hmm. so uh, it was a lot of fun to go up to uh, canada and do that we shot it in calgary alberta yeah and uh i i really had one day of work but i I drove to Calgary and uh, did my day's work and drove back along the top of the Rocky Mountains. So I had a wonderful trip out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was great.
2: Now, what made you first decide to get into acting? How did that all start?
0: Well, uh, my mother had always been a, a wannabe actress. And uh, I think she actually appeared in, in a couple of silent pictures, as probably, probably in an Supernumerary capacity as an extra, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was very determined that my my brother and I. She was she just de- she decided that we had great talent. I don't know what gave her that idea, but she decided that we did, and she insisted that we study acting and go into acting, and uh, was very persuasive. I really didn't want to do it to begin with, but she got me involved in a. Um, children's theater production in New York City of uh, a Christmas play for children, a biblical play for children, uh, at the Great Settlement House. And I was eight years old, and uh, they dressed me in a long robe and a gray beard, and I played King Herod. Hmm. And I ranted and raved around the stage there in Search of the Christ Child, as you remember the biblical story and yeah. so forth. And I... I remembered my lines and and uh, remembered where I was supposed to stand. And at the end of the thing, people clapped. They actually clapped, and, uh, and I thought, "Well, my goodness, if this is if I can do that and get them to clap, I'm going to have I'm really going to have to pursue this." <laughs> so I, I never really wanted to do anything else professionally all my life. I had a a great passion to to be an actor, and uh, I went kept with it through. Uh, grade school, high school, uh, junior high school and high school and, and, uh, major did it in, in, college at NYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the School of Education, I was in the Department of Dramatic Art there. And for three years, I, uh, I never graduated from NYU. I went, I left at the end of my junior year because I had a screen test at MGM in California and they immediately signed me to a 7-year contract. So wow. that was how my career started and I didn't feel that I had the time or could afford to go back and finish my my college education and I had taken all the theater courses I wanted uh, anyway and uh, passed all them with flying colors. So I was I was through with the university and and went on out to California and was was there for many years in the picture business. So.
2: Yeah. Do you remember what your first job in a film or a TV show was?
0: Oh yes, I uh, I was on at MGM under contract and they, the first assignment they gave me was a a two-word role in the picture Blackboard Jungle.
1: Ah, yes, yeah.
0: And I, I played a hospital intern and when Ann Francis's landlady came to the hospital with a little suitcase full of things for her, uh when she was having Glenn Ford's baby, mm-hmm. she handed them to me and I said thank you and walked out of the shot. And that was my introduction to films.
2: So. You must have been thrilled, right?
0: <laughs> you have to start somewhere.
2: Yeah, that must have been exciting though too Oh,
0: it was. it was terribly exciting and every minute of every day in the film business was exciting. whether I was working or not when you're working you, you're so happy to be doing something, and when you're not working, you're so worried about whether you're ever going to work again.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And here I am, 74, and I'm still waiting by an empty phone. You know? <laughs> but I, I, I spent many years doing that when I was a lot younger. So mm-hmm. it's nothing new, and uh, you get used to it. Yeah. Now you were on
2: a lot of before the Virginian. You were on a lot of TV shows that were famous. I mean, you, you were on Wagon Train and Rawhide and. Stagecoach oh, yeah. West, the, the rifleman, the gun I smoke. Did,
0: did, did all those things. I did five of the gun smokes. I did one a year for the first five years. Wow. When they were, uh, when they were the half, half hour black and white. Mm-hmm. And uh, they went to an hour, you know, and went to color. And uh, after that, I, right shortly after that, the Virginians started. And of course, I didn't do anybody's, uh, anybody, anybody else's series after that because they, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't cast me. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was playing the lead in the other show, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: That's how you you get cut out. But I I uh, don't regret a thing. I just uh, wish I had had a chance to do more of it. Yeah.
2: Now you were in nineteen fifty six in the sci fi classic The Forbidden Planet?
0: That's correct. How did I was that go? One of the crewman that was killed by the invisible monster. <laughs> me and Bob Dix. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. were the two crewmen that went flying off into the deep space.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a
2: classic right there. Oh,
0: right? it certainly is. It's now,
2: a, have you heard that they're thinking of remaking that movie?
0: Oh, they may very well be. I'm sure there's there's the talk of that. Yeah, that's
2: what I, I read, that they're uh, thinking of remaking that movie. But uh, how do you feel about, you know, I mean, the classics like that, uh, when they re- remake those?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, it's a free country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's entitled to to make their interpretation of any of any work or any any piece of material. Uh, we can only do the best we can when we've got it in our hands. Yeah, you know? and uh, I think the uh, original film was certainly for its time an extremely advanced science fiction film.
1: Yeah, it was. It a was
0: uh, used technology that uh, was unheard of at the time, and just on the very. Very verge of even being discovered. Some of the major, you know, they had a computer that went for 20 miles into the center of the planet. Mm-hmm. And that was controlled by, uh, Walter Pigeon and that really became his id, his, his, uh, dark subconscious center where he, uh, where his jealousy and rage and all that resided. And the invisible monster was a result of that coming out and becoming an electrified, objectified uh, instrument of his wrath yeah. on the people who were there on the planet. And I just happened to be one of the crewmen who got in the way, and man, that was the end of that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well,
2: one of the things that always amazes me about that film is I'm so used to seeing Leslie Nielsen as a comedic actor, and to see him in that film, it, I, I realize he was a, you know a serious actor before, but now he does a lot of comedy. But every time I see that film, I always look at him and think, he's a comedian. <laughs> you
0: know? Well, that's, that's understandable. He's had a, a remarkable and remarkably successful second career yes. as, as, a, as a comedian and in, in comedic material. But he was a, a well-known Broadway actor mm-hmm. when he came to California to do that Role and that was his first motion picture role, I believe. Oh, and okay. he acquit- he acquitted himself with uh, with uh, great aplomb, and he was extremely worthwhile in that role. And uh, he went on to do a lot of other serious pictures. Yes, yeah. Look at his filmography; I'm sure you'll see some 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 great films that he was involved in. Yeah. And uh, I remember many performances, but then he got a chance to be a parody of himself in. Some of these, uh, the cop pictures. What yeah. the ones that he does? Uh, the naked gun. The naked gun two and a half, the yeah. naked gun three and a half and all that. Yeah. And just a hilarious slapstick. Yeah. And they cast him in those roles and of course being the actor that he is, which is, he's capable of immense variety and everything he does, he went ahead and, and, and swallowed that hook, line and sinker and made it his own and he's, he's had a, uh, a wonderful second career. I, I don't know, and I, but I would venture to say that he's been more successful and made more money in the comedic stuff than he ever did before. Uh, probably. <laughs> and he probably thought his career was winding down. There was very little work for him, and, uh, nothing happened. And then they, somebody came up with this concept, and, and maybe it was Leslie. I don't know, but whatever it was, he got in the middle of that and, Boy, I just ran with it. Yeah. So many, so many good ones.
2: Yeah. And, uh, now, uh, you mentioned that he was uh, on stage. Now, you've done a lot of stage work too, haven't you?
0: Oh, yes. I had uh, done a great deal of stage, uh, stage work before and since. And uh, when the Virginia was over, I was in great demand in dinner theater. So I went all over the country for the next approximately seven years and and worked 45 or 50 weeks out of the year in the theater somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there were dinner theaters proliferating in every corner of the country and we went everywhere and did them. And by the end of that time, the dinner theaters were beginning to die out and, uh, there wasn't much, much demand for that anymore. There was, there's only two or three of them still in existence today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, that whole era was something that came and, and went, but I was, Right in the middle of it, I wasn't getting a lot of calls in California, so I stayed on the road and did all these plays that I could make a very nice living at and, and, uh, and please people all over the place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of those were comedies. I did a lot of oh, new really? Simon and, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, slapstick stuff and, uh, uh, a lot of serious plays like, uh, Once More with Feeling with, about a, uh, 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 Mad with Rage orchestra, conductor, you know, and mm-hmm. just all sorts of comedic things. Uh, huh. Probably, uh, I've probably done 253 act plays over wow. my career, uh, including Summerstock and all those mm-hmm. those places that I worked. And I had also done a, a, a goodly amount of Shakespeare and at the time I came to California, and I expected I would be able to do some serious roles in pictures and, and have some Uh, some use of my classical training, you know. And uh, the first thing they did was say, get on that horse and don't get off. (laughs) And here's a gun for you. And that was about the way the rest of my career worked out. Primarily, I did my acting from the back of a horse (laughs) and in the saddle.
2: Yeah. Do you prefer the stage, the reaction of the people immediately uh, over... Being in films or, or movies, or did it did it really matter? Or do you?
0: I don't prefer it. I I, I enjoy it and and love it very very much. But I also uh, enjoy uh, film because it's a lasting uh, record of what you did. The stage yeah. is you you know we 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 do our performance, and when the curtain comes down, it's uh, it's nothing but a memory. That's true. Yeah. So uh, in motion pictures, you you achieve real immortality, because uh, yeah. that film, if it's carefully taken care of, will last for several thousand years. Yeah,
2: lucky for us, we get to see those.
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, a lot of people get to see it long after we're all gone, you know, and yeah. uh, it's a nice legacy. Yeah. Now,
2: in 1974, you starred in Firehouse's Captain Spike Ryerson, yes. uh, and I can remember that show. Uh, do, you, do you think the networks gave that enough chance to, to gather a following?
0: Well, I don't think so, but then on the other hand it was a it was not a good show. It was badly written and uh badly badly put together and the the idea of having three disasters in 21 minutes makes it very difficult to do any serious acting. Mm. Uh most people didn't even know it was me behind the mask, you know. Yeah. I always had that that far uh, that uh air pack on my back and a mask on my face running into a big fire. Yeah. And it was exciting as far as it went. But, you know, in a half-hour show, you have 21 minutes to work with. Right. Approximately. And we'd have three disasters in 21 minutes. <laughs> uh, you don't have any time to turn around and develop. You know, it's kind of like find out what the boys in the bunkhouse are doing. Uh, yeah. We had a, a, a cast on the Virginian and we continually had scenes in the bunkhouse that gave the feeling of a family and of a of a people that had been together working together for years and yeah. were friends and, or enemies, but, uh, I mean, uh, uh, people that got along in that bunkhouse, and uh, uh, people loved that. And then we had the same opportunity in Firehouse because we were always in the station if we were fighting fires, but they never gave us a chance. It was like one of those New York fire companies that have, 80, 80 calls in a day you know yeah that's uh that's how we were and yeah. uh, it just wasn't a very good show and i was i was really glad to be out of it because it was it was just not a not the kind of quality I wanted to be involved yeah. in they were very very small budgets and uh and very very uh heavy you know fast production where you can't really uh develop any refinement or any any real lasting work worth of, of anything yeah
2: like you right. say i think the audience has to get to know the characters in order to bond with them even that's over correct. the screen even over the tv screen you know
0: that's correct yep. and uh we didn't have a chance to do that because we were always in disguise yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the and shouting and big fires going on but it was uh, it was a worthwhile project. It would have could could have gotten a lot better, and they could have gotten a lot better writers, and yeah, it just didn't work out. You know, yeah. some of these things do, and some of these things don't. We yeah. did our best.
2: Yeah. Now, in 1991, um, I understand you were inducted into the Hall of Great Western Performers of the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum.
0: That's right, in Oklahoma City,
2: and that's uh, very well deserved, I might
0: add. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It, uh, it must have
2: been quite a thrill.
0: It was, it was a great honor and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm included in some very fast company there. There's some great, great cowboys and great actors that have been inducted into that hall and more and more all the time and I'm always happy to see that. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing and it, it means a lot to people because they come up there to the, the museum, uh, in Oklahoma City and, and they have an enormous amount of tourism and people that come in there, busloads of people come in and and see the museum, which is certainly one of the best Western museums I've ever been in. Really? Uh, the, the art and the sculpture, the statuary and all that is just first class, better than first class, world class. Hmm. And, uh, I think it's, if you have anybody get a chance, if you ever get to Oklahoma City, be sure to look, go to the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. You'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. I know you will. That's
2: one thing that I think TV needs to get back to is the Western. They they don't seem to have that. You know that needs to come back. I think.
0: Well, you're you're very kind to say so, and I I think that uh, there's an awful lot of people out there who watch television who would love to see a a new Western. Well done, Western, but there aren't enough of them. They're just, you know, uh, Shakespeare said four hundred years ago. We have to hold the mirror up to nature. And the shows that you see on television today, the dramatic shows—I'm not—I don't even consider the reality shows worthy yeah. of discussion. <laughs> yes, yeah, But, I agree. but, but the, the dramatic shows and the and the good comedies that are on uh, are all shows that the modern audience wants to see. You know, my grandfather came west with a wagon train from uh, from Missouri when he was about. Seventeen or eighteen years old, wow! And uh, became one of the original Oregon pioneers. And I sat at his knee and heard all those stories of Indian fights and the the terrible problems on the Oregon Trail and all that. And my sons don't have that. They don't have that closeness to to the actual uh, that that glorious period between the, the end of the Civil War and the and nineteen hundred when. Uh, uh, you know, there was, the, in the, the, there was so much of this that we, we think of as Westerns, all that was happening during that period. Yeah. Actually about uh, a 30 year period in there. So, unless you're, and that became our Camelot, you know, mm-hmm. our American Camelot, and people loved it and loved to look back on it with nostalgia and with, with great affection because all Westerns are morality plays. They right. must show the triumph of good over evil. Yeah. And uh, we did that consistently, and, and the Westerns did that consistently. We just overexposed ourselves. Yeah. At, at one time, there was 15 and a half hours of Western programming on television every week. Wow. You meet yourself coming back. I'd, I'd do, shoot a Virginian on, uh, on the set uh, all day long and come home and sit down in front of the television set and watch almost exactly the same plot being played out on Big Valley or uh, High Chaparral or one of the other shows, you mm-hmm. know, because there's only so many plots. Yeah. yeah. Somebody said one time that there are 37 dramatic situations. Well, if there's 37 dramatic situations in all of dramaturgy, then believe me, there's a lot fewer in the Western <laughs> because we don't have sword fights and we don't... Uh, <laughs> Uh, usually use poison as something that we yeah. dispatch our enemies with so <laughs> uh, the, the the plots get cut down and you can only recycle the 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 school mom and the cowboy show so many times until people get tired of it yeah i think we just burned ourselves out television overexposes everything oh yeah and, yeah. and it overexposed the western and that's uh, how it died out and now the the main viewing audience is or the viewing audience that the advertisers want to target let's say that mm-hmm. the the most uh affluent demographic that they've got that they want to go after are just not people that are watching westerns yeah. they're they're too they're 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 younger people that don't have a connection at all in their family or in their life to to anything that happened in the west or very little and uh so they just have kind of died out. I think there will always be attempts made at them, and at television westerns, and there will always be western films. People want to see a western film yeah. every once in a while, but it's not the genre that is that I'd say there's a great great deal of future in right now. Yeah. <laughs> but the
2: thing is, with the western, there was always a hero. You know, I mean, somebody to look up to. Whereas now, I mean. There's not too many shows that have anybody to really look up to.
0: <laughs> well, it's hard to find some. A lot of these shows, it's hard to find anybody to root for.
2: Right, I know. You, you know, the
0: audience needs somebody that they can root for. Yeah, that's very important to audiences yeah. worldwide. So it's just a it's just a question of uh, there being too much exposure and yeah, and uh, too many years have passed. Yeah, but, but at t- least Universal ought to bring. Uh, the Virginia out on, on DVD so people who do want to watch could watch it.
1: Yes, yes, I think yeah. that would be a great thing, really.
0: And they haven't done it, so. Yeah. Now, time with it.
2: currently, you're, you're still quite involved with making public appearances and different types of shows and things. Can you tell us about those things?
0: Yes, I can. I'm just right now starting a whole series of, uh, gun shows for a gun show producer that I worked for before. Uh, Todd Bean, who has high caliber gun and knife shows in Texas, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be in uh, Belton, Texas, which is near Temple, uh, on uh, February 28th to March 1st, and then March 7th and 8th I'll be in Fort Worth, Texas at the Will Rogers Memorial Center, and uh, after that, let's see, I go March 21st to 22nd, I'm in Pasadena, Texas. Then April fourth and fifth, I'm in Houston at the George R. Brown Convention Center, and April eighteenth and nineteenth, I'm up in Tyler, Texas, at the Hmm. Harvey Hall. Wow! So these are all shows I've done before, but not for two or three years. I like to give you know have at least two or three years between shows to give the uh, give you a chance to have new people come in and not be meeting the same people that I've seen the you know two months before. So Mm -hmm. yeah. I take a long time between shows, but I haven't done any of his shows for three or four years. So we should have some, some pretty good attendance and some pretty good, uh, uh, and he publicizes them highly. I cut him a bunch of radio commercials and he plays them in all the local markets and people come, come out to see the Virginian. Yeah. And then I have the website that Karen Lindsay runs up in Ohio. And uh, she's put all this on there, so people, uh, Virginian fans, are going to be coming to these gun shows. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of fun, to see people find me through the website and all that.
1: Yeah. And
0: yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And in June, I think it is, we have a big, it's called the Gathering of Guns, and it's uh, yeah, up near Memphis, Tennessee. I don't have the exact dates to give you at the moment, but uh, it's it's up there. Maybe anyway, can... it'll be in June, and there'll be a lot of people there. There'll be, uh, uh, I think, Gary Clark and uh, Randy Boone from the Virginian will be there. Uh, there'll be uh, Robert Fuller and uh, Henry Darrell from High Chaparral. Wow. And yeah. uh, just a whole bunch of guys. Yeah. Uh, Sugarfoot will be there. Oh, really? <laughs> and I think maybe Clint Walker. I'm not sure if he's going to go to that or not, but. He goes to quite a few of them, and of course, Clint's a, a very close friend, and we keep in touch all the time. And uh, Bobby Fuller has now moved to Texas, and so has Gary Clark, who played Steve in *The Virginian*. He lives out here by Waco, and mm-hmm. Bobby Fuller lives up north of Dallas. And uh, Alex Cord, well, oh yes, okay, Alex Cord, yeah, and he he lives up there. So i a lot of close friends have moved to Texas. I've been here for 33 years, but they've just come down in the last two or three years and and, and bought places here, and they're very happy to be in Texas.
1: So yeah. well, you a keep, lot,
0: of people, lot of people are moving here from California.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, you keep naming all these names. It's bringing back so many memories of the, of the different shows they were on. And
0: oh, yes, of the, course. The, the well, memory was on Laramie, you know. Yeah. And then he had Emergency, mm-hmm. yeah. which was a successful uh, uh, paramedic show, and he played the the emergency room doctor.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember With, uh, that.
0: Julie London and Bobby Troop. Yeah. And that was a, a very fine show, I thought. Yeah. And he did that for a number of years, so he's got a a, a fine, uh, just a fine uh, list of credits uh, uh, of his versatility as an actor. He can work in westerns, and he can work in... In drawing room comedies, you know, yeah. he's very capable.
2: Hmm. Yeah, boy, all, all those good shows.
0: <laughs> well, most of those actors that that had uh, some longevity in shows like that had really had some some uh, training as actors and and uh, had, had had some background, you know, when they they came into it. I'm not sure that some of these new people have much background, but yeah. of course that they They've got to try to make their own way, and that's all I could say uh, I think that uh they they've done as and I'm sure they're all doing the best they possibly can at the time. There's some shows I just can't watch, but I won't name any of them <laughs> 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 uh, except to say that reality shows every time a reality show starts seventy five actors go out of work
1: mm, yeah,
0: so it just uh, i'm I'm against' I don't have any use for them and I don't watch them yeah. and uh, all I can do is vote with my feet you know <laughs> <laughs> and and walk away from the television when they're on. And they're not on in this house very much anyway. Nobody watches them.
2: Yeah. Well, James, I, I wish you luck on your appearances coming
0: up. And um, Well, thank you very much. I want to thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your stories with us. Well, thank you, and call me anytime. I'll be happy to talk, uh, talk again with you whenever you feel like it, if you feel like it. And, yes.
2: Uh, uh, it's been an honor having you on the
1: show.
0: <laughs> well, it's been my pleasure, and I'm certainly glad that, There are people out, like you out there keeping the western alive and keeping, uh, keeping us in communication with our, with our fans and our people around the country that, that know us. And it's, it's always a pleasure to be on your show and be on any show like this where we can talk about westerns, you know. I've enjoyed it.
2: Well, we want to thank James Drury very much for joining us and taking the time to talk to us about uh, his uh, career and all the things that went on with the Virginian. And it was uh, very interesting to hear him talk. It's, it's just fascinating to hear the stories like that. So we want to thank him. And, of course, uh, we want to remind you that to have any suggestions on who you'd like to hear us interview, send us an email at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we will see what we can do about getting the person or people that you would like to hear. Or if you have a favorite show or a favorite movie or a favorite musician that you would like us to um, talk with and see what we can come up with. All right, Because remember, we do movies, TV, and music. And it's all right here on On Screen and Beyond. And uh, don't forget to go to our poll on the first page of beyond.com. And this time the question is, of the Westerns listed, what was or is your favorite Western TV show? Was it Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Laramie, Rawhide, The Virginian, or Wagon Train? So go ahead and put your vote down. We'll see what you, could, you, know, you like out there. And uh, if you have an email that you want to send us and just say hi or just uh, tell us something about the show, what you think of it, we're glad to hear from you, okay? And that's at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We have another show coming up that we are working on right now. We are actually working on that. It will be coming out very shortly. So um, hope you'll stick around and uh, check on us again. And until next time, take care.